You're listening to the Forest Youth Sermon Audio Podcast for Sunday, March 3rd, 2019. This extended recording includes audio of the leadership team update as well as the sermon. Well, if you're a visitor with us here this morning, we're especially glad that you're here. I just want to highlight for you, though, that it's a little bit of a strange morning. So this isn't your typical Forest You Sunday morning. This morning is what we call Forest You 360. And that's the term that we use for the meetings that we have once or twice a year that give us a 360-degree look at Forest You, the ministries, uh, the decisions that are being made, all the logistics that go into keeping things going. Some refer to it as a general annual meeting. So that's what, that's what 360 means. And we've been bringing those into our worship gatherings and combining those with our worship gatherings this year. So the last time we met together was just after Doug Loveday had arrived as our transitional pastor and just after a transitional leadership team had been put into place. And there was a three, an FE360 in November. And at that time, there was a whole bunch of important questions that came up, like what's happening with the facility? What are we doing about a pastor search? What's happening with our small group ministry? And other questions like that. And the leadership team, with the guidance of Vision Ministries and the urging of others in the church, decided to enter into a season of discernment before jumping to, to solving all of those problems. And that was what we called the 100 Days of Prayer. So this happened between October and January, and 100 people from Forest View met in groups of three and four uh, 10 times to pray, discuss scripture, uh, and discuss issues of church life together. And each group was invited to share feedback after every meeting. So after the three months of, of the 100 Days of Prayer, there was 200 pages of feedback collected. There was a book. This, fa- this church family wrote a book. You didn't know it, but you did. And so uh, the leadership team, so that was middle of January that that wrapped up. And the leadership team, uh, out of the 100 Days of Prayer, it was very clear the, the number one concern was, who is Forest View? What is Forest View about? And where is Forest View going? And so the leadership team for the last six weeks, with that feedback and entering into prayer themselves, set to step into some of those questions. And there was a number of, there was a retreat with, as a leadership team. There was a facilitator that came in to lead the leadership team through a vision process that the staff was a part of. And th- that brings us to this morning. So this morning... FV360, the leadership team wants to share the answers that they've discovered to the following questions. Why do we exist? How do we behave? What do we do? And how do we proceed? So that's what we're going to spend our time on this morning. And I'm going to invite Craig and Lois and Jen up. And as they do, one comment, you'll know, one thing that I want to say up front is that those things like building and pastor search, and small groups. There's no answers for those this morning. So we're going to spend, the leadership team was balancing urgency and getting getting things moving forward and not rushing things. And this process of discussing these questions has taken up the last six weeks. And so that's what is there, we're excited to share with you this morning. Over to you, Craig. Perfect. Thanks, Cole. Uh, it's It's actually some great four questions that we're going to be wrestling with today. And the first one is simply this biggie, why does the church, this church, exist? Uh, and after much prayer and deliberation, we landed on this. To be a community where people meet Jesus and become more like him. It's as simple and profound as that. Uh, we want to be a community. Whether gathered or scattered, we want to be one 
people, one body that um, is all about uh, providing a safe, welcoming place where people can come, where they can ask questions, they can feel free to be themselves, um, to be known and loved by Jesus, to meet Jesus. Because at the center, at the heart of everything we do, it is about Jesus. Uh, John 3.16, a famous, probably the most well-known verse perhaps in the Bible. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. That whoever believes will not perish, but find this life everlasting, this abundant life. It starts and ends with Jesus. And so this is a community, a body, that gets together in order to meet Jesus, be loved by Jesus, welcome others into that relationship. Why? In order to become more like him. This idea of apprentices. We want to be followers of Jesus. We've tasted of his words, and they are good. They are the words of life. So this is what we're about, to be a community where people meet Jesus and become more like him. Jen. So how do we behave? We choose to believe the best about each other. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. We are made in the image of God. We are uniquely and wonderfully made, and we want to see that in each other. We want to be grace extenders because we know that we will need grace extended to us as well. We want where there is difference or confusion or hurt, we want to seek to understand each other in relationship. Right. So extending this to how do we behave, if we can move to the next slide, that we embrace brokenness. Meaning that the reason why that Jesus had to come in the first place is that we live in a broken world and we are broken people. And even those that belong to Jesus, we're in a process of God continuing to transform us. So we know that this is the world that we're in and that God's called us to be hands and feet in this. Second thing, the idea of that we grieve with the broken. I, I, it kept coming up again and again that we know that this is a church that has understood much about grieving with the brokenhearted. And this idea where um, we want to do that together, that is part of real life, that Christ has come and that we're his hands and feet. And so instead of moving away from each other in places of suffering and brokenness, we get closer because that's what Christ has done for us. And we're not surprised, we're not surprised by that. We, we know that that's part of our call as Christians in this world. So the 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 26 is just one of those verses that captures that idea that when we suffer, we don't withdraw. Okay, that's, that's the lowest part. But that there should be no division in the body, but that all its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Back to you, Craig. Lovely. So how do we behave? How do we conduct ourselves? We choose to believe the best about each other. We embrace brokenness. And we are attentive to mystery. Hmm. Now, when you hear that word, some of you might say, what? They don't believe in truth? 
No, it's actually just the opposite. We believe that this truth is so profound, so infinite, so vast, so immense, that we are not going to claim to have a handle on it all. <laughs> in fact, we love this notion of wonder, of reveling in God's grace and truth. It's that big. It's that vast. Uh, it's humbling, right? The immensity of God. There is enough there <laughs> for us to spend all eternity to enjoy. So to think that somehow truth is this narrow little notion, well, that's not us. We want to embrace mystery, be attentive to mystery, keep our eyes open for mystery. Because of that, oh, I should, I should just mention 1 Timothy 3.16. Paul, in writing for that letter, says, Great is the mystery of our faith, that God was manifest in the flesh. Great is the mystery of our faith, right? It's faith. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the beauties of mystery. Faith and hope flow out of this uh, way we're going to behave and act. Um, but because of this, uh, we're unafraid of questions. In fact, we enjoy questions. We enjoy reveling with paradox. For us, it's not an either-or. Paradox is kind of enjoying and appreciating both. We want to live in a both-and sort of world. Both sides of paradox. We recognize that there are things that remain a puzzle for us. We're, God and man, we want to embrace both those deeply and understand those things. And not understand them, seek to understand them, enjoy and revel in and the wonder of that. First um, Corinthians 13, 12 is kind of a cool one. It says, for now, it's as if we're looking through a tarnished mirror. We see through a glass darkly, right? Someday we will see face to face. And someday we will know fully and be fully known. But for now, until then, we live by faith. We live by hope. And we are attentive to mystery. Three ways that we want to behave as a church. Thanks for coming. It's interesting. We'll do a worship time together where we're lifting our voices to the Lord. We have a time around the scripture like this. And then we also include in this service this idea of where we're headed, who are we, where are we headed, how is God leading us into the future. So uh, it's a busy morning. Um, oh, I hope you've got your Bible or some kind of a device that will give you the scriptures. We're in uh, the book of Colossians and chapter 4 today. And so I'd like you to turn there if you're able to do that. And over the last few weeks, what we've been doing is walking our way through this, this letter to the church in Colossae, and we're now on chapter 4. Chapter 1 was this idea of a fresh hope. And chapter 2 was the idea of a bold truth. And the bold truth was that Jesus Christ really is... God in the flesh, that in him all the fullness of God dwells, all the mysteries of knowledge and wisdom are in Jesus. It's quite amazing. And then chapter 3, last week, because of this huge hope that we have in Jesus and the bold truth of who he is, we've, there's a new ethic in the way we live. There's a new kind of love. And, and uh, so last week, um, 
Paul did a great job of helping us think through this new ethic of love, which is not a new ethic really at all, because when Jesus said a new command, I give you that you must love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is, this is just raising the bar on what the notion of love is, right? As Jesus loved us, huh, that's sacrificial love, incredibly sacrificial love. So, uh, and now we come this week to the idea of a brave uh, mandate. We have a mandate. We're called by God to, to live our lives in a certain way. So this is what we're looking at this day. This brave mandate, God calls us to live out our new reality in Jesus Christ. This is a new kingdom has entered into the world, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of light. And this is not a kingdom that's going to rule with power and dominance and revenge and war. It's a kingdom that is going to work through love, sacrificial love and truth and grace. So this brave mandate is that we are called to be this kind of people. We are We are chosen by God to be his people. We are loved by him in an amazing way. We are set free so that we can love others in a sacrificial kind of a a way. And that so the good news that we have about Jesus Christ is not for us alone. Would you agree with that? It's for the world. (laughs) So Paul says some amazing things in this text that it's God's desire to reconcile all things unto himself. That's a pretty big mandate, isn't it? And he gives us a, a role, a huge role to play, that we are to be the people who carry out his love and his truth to the world. Are you up for that? That's why we sing songs like we just sang. Oh, I need you, Lord. I need you every hour. I need you. Because I can fall back into my own little self-centered, selfish kind of narrow way of living without seeing this huge mandate. We're the people of God in the world to love and to serve. Well, it's a beautiful thing. It's big. We can't do it, (laughs) except through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is this true? Absolutely. Okay, so I love the purpose that was put up here a minute ago for Forest View that we want to be, we are, a community where people meet Jesus I'm all for that. (laughs) Are you? I think God is all for that, that we would be a community of people where people can come and and meet Jesus and and become more like him. So that's our, our goal as we do this, our purpose. And so it picks up sort of on the idea of the no walls, which you see emblazoned on the outside. I remember hearing one of the young kids say that when he first came to this church, he came inside and he looked around. He said, there are walls here. There are walls all around. (laughs) Church without walls means no walls between God and ourselves. Okay, We want all the fullness of God here working in our lives. No walls between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want those kind of barriers. And no walls between us and the world outside. We want to be image bearers of Christ and gospel-centered people who are communicating out there to the world 
So our mandate then, I want us to look at the, at the scriptures here uh, from Colossians chapter 4 and see what we come up with. So uh, I'm going to read to you uh, here. Well, there it is right there. Devote yourselves. This is how Paul starts off. This is sort of his concluding remarks at the end of chapter 4. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So I'd like to say that part of our mandate is to pray. Paul seems to think this is awfully important. Now you may say, where's prayer on the things that are being set up there? It is covering everything. It's in everything. So Paul says, pray being watchful. In other words, really awake, keen. Uh, and to be thankful. Thankfulness Prayer and thankfulness are never far apart. We saw this right at the beginning of of the book of Colossians where Paul says, I thank my God every time I pray for you. So thankfulness and prayer are so connected. And I just want to tell you that there was a time in my life where I was going through a very stressful time. Um, I was waking up really early in the morning, couldn't get back to sleep. I had what was called stutter breathing Do you know what that is? When you're under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and you try to breathe and you go, (laughs) like that. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This was a really difficult time. And at that time, I I came across this idea of thanksgiving as being one of these spiritual habits that's really important for our hearts and our lives. And I began every morning in the midst of this stress time to give thanks to God for the material things he had given, for the relational blessings that he had given, and just started to list out the friendships that we had, for the spiritual blessings that God had given, being adopted into the family of God, being washed all those sins away, giving a brand new life, identified as a, a son of the living God, and having the Holy Spirit in me and giftings that I could use for the glory of God. And the fourth category of that was after physical blessings, relational blessings, spiritual blessings was answered prayer. I started to see how God was answering prayer and giving thanks. And you know what happened to my soul? My discouraged, beaten down soul? God started to lift me up (laughs) and give me a joy. Thanksgiving is so important. Well, I encourage you. Give it a try. See, God's pretty smart. Uh, So anyway, uh, be watchful and thankful. And the, the second thing we see here is this about proclaiming Jesus, right? Because this is what these verses say. Um, pray with watchful thanks. Maybe we can go on to the next one there. Is there another one? Proclaim Jesus with our words and lifestyle. So Paul, he's in jail, right? And so he's saying this. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. I don't think he's talking about a a door so he can get out of jail. I I think he's saying an opportunity right here in jail to be able to speak the the truth of Jesus to everybody around. Uh, To proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, but you also... Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, those who aren't in the faith yet. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, and conversation in the Bible is always more than just our words. It's our whole life. It's how we work our way through life. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I'd say besides the idea of prayer, what Paul is doing here is he's saying part of our mandate, our bold mandate, is to be people who are proclaiming Jesus with our words and with our lives. So then we come to this notion of um, how do we behave. And I'd just like to say that the way I was trained at seminary was to be very cautious of eisegesis, which means reading into the scripture, and rather I should be using exegesis. Let the scripture, let, it, let the truth come out of the scripture. Don't read into it. You know, does this make sense? Okay. So as I was reading this this week, and I was reading through this passage, I was thinking, Lord, spare me from eisegesis. I don't think this, I don't think I'm reading into this. I think what I'm seeing in the text is exactly illustrative of the how we behave things that were put on the piece of, uh, that were put up here this morning. And I want to I wanna show you this out of this text. So the first thing is this. How do we behave? We choose to believe the best about each other. And we'll see it in this text of Scripture. Let's take a look. So um, Tychicus, so Paul's writing and he's saying, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He's sort of saying, look, he's coming. He's carrying this message and he's going to help and encourage you. Believe the best about him. Um, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus. Now, Onesimus... As this was being read in front of the whole church, do you know what would happen in, in the city of Colossae? Everybody would have gone, not Onesimus, that dirty rotten. Do you know who Onesimus was? He was a slave of one of the leading people in the church, a guy named Philemon. And Onesimus was a slave, had stolen stuff from him, and had run away. Do you know under Roman rule, do you know what, could be done and should be done to a runaway slave, he could be put to death. And in many people's eyes, he should be put to death. He's shamed his master in front of the whole community and he's stolen stuff and run away and so on. So here's Paul saying, uh, so I'm sending Onesimus. Um, believe the best about him. And people are saying, I don't think so but we'll see what happens, okay? So Paul is saying, let's believe the best about one another. And there's more in, in this text as we go. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Do you know who Mark was, this cousin? Mark was a guy who deserted Paul on his missionary journey. And Paul, at that point, said, I don't want anything to do with this guy. I'm not taking him again. So he sort of rejected Mark. But Barnabas is the guy who's this inclusive guy. He says, okay, Mark, you come with me. Come on, let's go. And do you know who wrote the book of Mark? Do you want to make a wild guess? <laughs> 
This is a guy who was restored as somebody believed the best about him and would continue to work with him and disciple him. So here's another guy, Mark. People may have heard stuff about him. Ah, he's a deserter, don't listen. And Paul's saying now, no, 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 no. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Believe the best about him. We're called to do that here in this church. We're called to be people who, if we hear something we don't quite understand, we don't go and talk to somebody else about it. We go and talk to the person who said it. Does this make sense? That we give the person a chance and we say, so uh, what did you mean by when you said so-and-so? Can you help me understand? Because I respect you. I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. This is not only spiritually mature. This is emotionally mature. This is relationally mature. This is what we do when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not being asked to be naive. We're asked to be mature and to go and talk with people about stuff that we don't understand and to believe the best about one another. Well, there's a second thing. There's another thing in the text here um, that's embracing brokenness and suffering. And I, I think I just put up here from 4.18. This is right at the end where Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. He says, Paul's in prison. That's a place of suffering. It's a place of brokenness. It's a tough, tough place. And um, remember my chains, he says. Don't, don't deny this brokenness and suffering that's in the world. Um, and you know what? For every one of us, we are all in a place of broken, brokenness. Not one of us has everything together. I sure don't. You can ask Ruth if you want a second opinion. <laughs> um, we don't. We're all struggling with our stuff. And we're, we're, we're walking, but we're walking with the Lord. And we're, we're embracing brokenness and suffering. And when we think about Onesimus, the guy who was the slave and stole and ran away, this guy was suffering as a slave. And he did what he had to do to get out of that suffering by running away. And we acknowledge that the world is not as it should be. I've mentioned before this curious idea of being happy, sad. How are you today? Oh, I'm happy, sad. How can you be happy, sad? Because there are a lot of things to be happy about in this life, and there are a lot of things to be sad about as well because of the suffering and brokenness in the world. And as followers of Jesus Christ, then, we are not surprised by brokenness or by suffering or by loss because that's just the story of our world. And when we enter into the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, we enter into the story of the creator God who chooses to suffer with his people. And this creator God will stop at nothing to reconcile a broken world and broken people to himself. What a God. What an amazing God.
Jesus, when he suffered for us on the cross, what he suffered was absolutely sufficient to save people. And someone asked me a question a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean that we complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? This question comes out of chapter 1 and verse 24. And I will read it to you where Paul says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Because Paul was suffering for them. He'd been proclaiming the gospel, was thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, Paul is not saying that Jesus' suffering on the cross was insufficient in any way. It was absolutely sufficient. But what he's saying is that when we follow the way of Jesus in this world, suffering is a part of that. And this is why he says here in the context about his church, about his people. We are the body of Christ in this world. Is this true? We're his hands and feet in this place. And we also will go through times of suffering. And so when I think of this as a value for a forced view church, I think this is a promise that whatever you go through, you will never be alone. That here in this place, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ will have their arms around you, will walk with you, because we're not running away from the suffering and the brokenness that's in the world. We're embracing it in full, and we're saying Jesus is the one who brings healing and help in the midst of it all. And we're his hands and feet here with you. What a, what a beautiful value. This is the heart of Jesus, isn't it? It really is. And so it brings me then to the third thing. Um, we give attention to mystery. This may be the thing that's maybe mysterious. <laughs> What's the mystery? In the text that we read this very morning... Paul says, first of all, I think it's going to come up here, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. The mystery of Christ? Yeah. Who could ever fathom that the God who created the whole universe would humble himself and shrink himself down to be a little tiny vulnerable baby? born on this earth, grow up as probably a carpenter, uh, live an impeccable life, reaching out to all people everywhere, and end up dying on a cross. The one who had all power, the one who said, look, I could call 10,000 angels to come right now and deliver me from the cross, but I'm not going to do it. So he did not come to dominate and rule and crush. He allowed himself to be dominated and crushed on the cross. And through the weakness of the cross and the weakness of his suffering, he defeated the powers of evil. Can you make sense of this? Is this a mystery? (laughs) 
It's a mystery that the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of any other power. And the foolishness of God on the cross is more brilliant than what appears to be the knowledge of the world. That's a mystery. There are other mysteries that are mentioned in the Bible. In Ephesians, the mystery that he talks about there is the fact that the Jews and Gentiles would be brought equally into the same body, the church. And you know that Gentiles, so the Jewish people, right, the chosen people, Gentiles, everybody outside of that. Gentiles were always welcome to come into the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles in the temple in Jerusalem, but they weren't allowed to come inside to the real place. They were kept outside. You with me? And for that matter, there was also a court of the women because the women couldn't come out to the real place, but you know, they could be kept outside as well. So you can imagine then the shock of this, the mystery of this. When God comes along and speaks through his people to say that in Christ, there's no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, no male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. This is revolutionary stuff. It's amazing stuff. It's mystery. And so we see that there's no ethnic there's no ethnic barrier anymore. Walls have been broken down. There's no social barrier of slave and free. And there's no gender barrier. All are welcome to come. And in Jesus, we are all one. This is beautiful. This is what the world needs. And this is the mystery that we have. So, um, there's one other mystery that I want to ask. And does that come up here? Whatever are we going to do with slavery? Here's a mystery that they were dealing with at this time. Because um, when Paul wrote to the people of Colossians, he said this thing, and I think Paul said something about last week. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Does it sound like Paul's saying slavery is okay? Just slaves you obey, and masters you just be a little kinder to your slaves. But slavery is okay. You know, of course, that this very scripture was used by slave owners to say, well, it's right in the Bible. Just slaves, obey your masters. So this brings us then to this very mysterious notion of hermeneutics, which is, called, which is the science of how do we understand what the Bible says. Are you with me? There's a bit of a mystery here that at the same time that Paul is writing this to the people of Colossae, he's writing a letter to his friend uh, Philemon. And he's saying to Philemon, and I hope it comes up here, uh, but yeah, this is it. He's, Paul's writing a personal letter to Philemon, and he says this, perhaps the reason that Onesimus, your slave, was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back forever. No longer as, what? No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So what do we do with this? Do we say slavery was okay, is okay? 
Or do we reinterpret the Bible? Or how do we understand the Bible? Do, can you see the sort of conundrum here? And what we know and understand is that it would be a total misunderstanding of Paul's purposes and God's heart to say slavery is okay. Because God is a God who releases slaves. God is the God who, when his people were in slavery in Egypt, he released them, didn't he? And God is the God who, even through the, the, the law of the Old Testament, he said, every seven years, if you have slaves, you set them free. Give them a chance again. And in fact, in the Jubilee year, even better, that you not only set your slaves free, you give them back their family land that you took from them when they couldn't pay their debts. You give it back and you let them start all over again because there's a huge generous heart of God. But Paul at this time was saying, we can't totally overturn the, the whole Roman Empire here in a shot. So in a public letter, he tells them, look, the way things are at the moment, keep going, but you slave owners, you be kinder to you and you believing uh, slaves, you really serve your masters well, and let's see how the relationship goes. But he's saying to Philemon at the same time, set them free. And of course, it took quite a number of years for our good brother, William Wilberforce, a British guy, to have the heart of God in him to say, we can't let the British Empire do this to people anymore. This, this is a very, you know, I'm a white male. I've been so privileged. But Ruth and I lived in Ghana for our first few married years. I remember standing on the coast of Ghana where there was a, there's a slave prison there. It's a memorial now. And knowing that there were thousands, thousands of beautiful people made in the image of God who were captured and brought here to this place. And they went in a tunnel out to this place that was out in the ocean. And the ships would come up and they'd shackle them and put them all on board and take them over to America or to the Caribbean or wherever they were to be slaves. I stood there and I wept. Oh, God. And to think that some people used this text of the Bible to justify that kind of thing, how heartbreaking. So we then need to be really wise in our interpretation of Scripture. And so here's a principle of hermeneutics that, that's in interpretation. When we read a Scripture and we come up with a text that seems in conflict with a received doctrine... So we're reading the Bible. We're not, we're not jumping out of the Bible. We're reading the Bible. When we read the Scripture and come up with a text that seems in conflict with the received doctrine of our theological tradition, we must hold that doctrine more lightly. Now, notice we're not saying you jettison, you right away abandon or throw away the doctrine. It's just that we... We hold it more lightly because there may have been reasons for understanding it this way in the first place. 
But then we wrestle through the mystery of this. How do we interpret this? We ask questions, we examine, we give attention to the mystery of it all, and we hold this thing that we used to hold awfully tightly, we hold it more loosely out of great respect for the word of God and for the heart of God revealed. Now, I'm sure there's lots more that we could say about about this, Um, but I want to conclude with this thought that at Forest View Church, as I have listened to and participated in the conversation with the leaders of this church, about between 15 and 20 of us at various times, the center is the absolute truth of Jesus Christ. At the center is the absolute truth of our Lord Jesus Christ, his birth his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection in great power, his ascension into heaven, and his sending of the Holy Spirit to us, and his ongoing work in his people even now. At the center of it all is the absolute truth of Jesus. And we want to call people to believe in this Jesus, and to follow him, and to be saved. And Then to give attention to the mystery, to be open to the questions and the doubts and the paradox and the reflections of other people and help people to become more like Jesus as we walk together. And we want to be a church that is welcoming all who are seeking and to, with love and acceptance and prayer and conversations to point people to Jesus Because in Jesus, all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of God are found. It's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I love this. I love where we're going. But of course, it doesn't really matter what I love. It really matters what God loves. (laughs) And God loves this. And he's looking right now. This body of believers gathered around right here. He's saying, ah, this is my body my church, my hands and feet on the earth, my sons and my precious daughters. And he gives us a call to proclaim, to pray and proclaim this Jesus Christ in our words and our deeds, to make the choice to believe the best about one another, to embrace brokenness and to walk with one another through our brokenness and our suffering in this world and bring the healing of Jesus there and to never tire of the mystery of the greatness of our God and his amazing grace. Lord, we thank you for this time as we continue through this uh, meeting together. We pray that you will lead us in the mystery of your Holy Spirit and that as you have said, we should make every effort to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace that you will so unite us that there will be the powerful work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and out into our community for the glory of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
want to learn from the life of Jesus. We want to love as he loved. It's a high calling. Um, We see ourselves as apprentices of Jesus, and it's a lifelong journey. And we know that it is one that is best lived with each other in community so we can encourage each other as we long to become more like him. We love him because he first loved us. And we find that in 1 John. So to continue this idea of how do we proceed, I see it as how people are impacted by the way that we act. This whole idea of um, to amplify the prophetic voice, which is maybe a bit unusual for some, this idea that if it conjures up for you um, Old Testament prophets raining down condemnation on people, this is so totally not what we're talking about here. It's more the idea of Ephesians 4.15 that says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So this, can we go back to the former slide there, Tim? Yeah, that we speak the truth in love, we listen to the Holy Spirit who is at work in his people. This idea of we confront the illusions and lies of our culture, to me this also, and I think to us as a, as a leadership team, this idea that as we live authentic, as, we, as what Jen has said about living a life of love, that if we really do do that, it's pretty radical in the world, that it will confront illusions and lies if we live sacrificially. Um, and also knowing that even in ourselves, it's an ongoing process of God redeeming and restoring us into his image, because the culture has shaped us. In Micah 6.8, it also talks, this is a wonderful scripture, he has showed you, everyone, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? That's going to powerfully impact our world. It was interesting, as we were chatting about this and sort of thinking back on Forestry's history, we Uh, identified prophets in our midst, people who were really important in shaping us and spoke almost against our our culture and our way of thinking in, in, in fresh ways. And so we were wrestling with how do we describe this? And the word the prophetic voice came up. And it was actually Rob Gerber who who uh, brought up for us a quote from Walter um, Brueggemann. And this is it. The prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. Grieve in a society that practices denial. And express hope in a society that lives in despair. That's what we want to be as a church. That's how we want to proceed to amplify the prophetic voice. So what do we do? As they've shared, we amplify the prophetic voice and we include the disenfranchised. Matthew 25, 40 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done unto me. We want to care for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our community, and for the poor among us. But we don't want to just reach in from time to time. That's actually not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is we want to stand with those who are on the margins, those who feel like the other. Um, We want 
to eradicate us and them. Those who feel like they don't belong, we want to stand against that, and we want to stand with them. We want to step out of our own lives where it's familiar and often comfortable, and we want to step into situations with others where it's difficult and messy. In fact, especially when it's difficult and messy. How do we proceed? Romans 12, 5, and 6 talks a lot about what that looks like in community. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him, prof let him prophesy and let him use it in proportion to his faith. This idea that we are a gifted church and that God is no respecter of persons. So we need to not look on the outside, but consider what gifts do we see God stirring up in people? We are in this together. The, gifting, the giftings and the passion of Jesus are evident in all of believers. So let's, let's proceed and let's engage with one another within that context. Also, finally, we all have a role to play in the mission of Jesus Christ. There is nobody who can say, I have no gifting. If you belong to Jesus Christ, it comes with a package. You get gifting that will bless this body and ultimately others outside of the body. So this is where, when we, when we think about how we want to proceed with that, with that attitude in mind, we'll, we'll do the work of Christ. We'll do the mission. And the fourth way that we want to proceed is to practice faith together. And we just brainstormed all the sort of things we want to do together. We want to pray together, eat together, worship together, serve together, confess to each other, break bread together, suffer together, encourage each other, share life together. Here's the bottom line. Faith is not a solo sport, <laughs> right? We have to do this together. If we are serious about being apprentices of Jesus against being prophetic voices to each other and to this world, we need to practice faith together. Hear the words of the author to Hebrews. He says, let's think about how we can spur one another to acts of love and good deeds. And let's not neglect meeting together as some people to do, as some people do, but to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day of Christ's return drawing near. We want to do this together. Romans 12, 12 and 3. Be, hope, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We want to practice faith together. That's how we're going to proceed. So there you have the answers to our four questions. What we're going to do right now is to call up other members of the leadership team to sort of give their reflections, really quick reflections, promise you. <laughs> um, we're going to call up Dan McKay, uh, Brent Yeaman, and Chantel Sindri, plus her, plus one, <laughs> or plus three quarters, whatever it is. <laughs> and as they're coming up, let me just recap quickly for you where we've come from, where we've come. So why do we exist? To be a community where people meet Jesus and become more like him. How do we behave? Well, we choose to believe the best about each other. We embrace brokenness. We are attentive to mystery. And what do we do? We help each other to love better, to love God, to love each other, to love creation. Lastly, how do we proceed? How do we move forward? 
We amplify the prophetic voice. We want to include the disenfranchised. We engage everyone and their gifts. Yes, that means you and me. We practice faith together. So here's our illustrious panel. I'm curious, folks. Um, talk to me a little bit about your reflections, maybe on what you've heard or your own ruminations as you've we've gone through this journey. Um, what stood out for you? Um, what's hearkened maybe in the past that you've sort of been significant for you? Or why might these things be important for you going forward and for us going forward? So Dan, kick us off a little bit. Sure, thanks. Um, <clears throat> so a couple of things. There's three things that... Um, First of all, let me, let me uh, kind of disabuse you of the notion that this was done easily. This was not done easily. This was uh, hours and hours and hours. My wife can attest to that. Um, but, I have, but I walked out of all of those meetings never loving these guys more than I do right now. So um, it was, it's been really good. The three things that, uh, that's, that stuck out to me, the first one was um, believing the best about each other. So I remember reading an article uh, that came out of the Harvard Business Journal, and it was, um, it was talking about marriages that were phenomenal. And this, this was a 20-year study of marriages where they, the husband and wife would say, we have a great marriage. Their kids would say, that's a great marriage. Their friends would say, this is the best marriage we've ever seen. And they asked these guys a bunch of questions, and they followed them for many, many years. And as the scientists were kind of going through all of this data, they postulated what they thought the, re the reason for these great marriages might be. And what they basically said was, everyone has very low expectations. <laughs> I know you're going to screw up, so I just have low expectations. And what they found was the exact opposite was true. They had extremely high expectations of one another, but they believed the best about the other person. Cool. So if Marion Ruth says she's going to meet me at 7.30 p.m. In, in the entrance to the mall, she's there at 7.30. But on this one time, she's there at 7.50. And rather than thinking, she's, she's always like this, I can't believe it, yes, she's always late, your immediate reaction is, there must be a very good reason why Mary Ruth's like that, because she would never mm. do that. That's how we need to love one another. Yeah, love that. Lo it's the expectation of expecting the best from one another. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, I'm going to let you down. Craig's going to let you down. Chantel will never let you down, but, but Brent will let you down. And I need you to believe the best in me, that my motives are not harmful. My, they're not spiteful. I may just see it a little bit differently. Enter into conversation. Cool. Talk to me about it. Because relationship trumps everything. Cool. And relationship must trump everything. Okay? That's number one. The, the second one is this whole thing about mystery and paradox. I know that for some of you who like to, you know, there's, who like to follow manuals and like to be told that, like my wife, tell me what to believe, I will believe it. Um, this, is a, this, this is not saying that we don't have any absolutes. This is the fact that, you know what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and yet we believe in a trinity. How do you hold these things in tension? If you want to be first, you've got to be last. Um, is, is, it, is it Arminianism or is it Calvinism? Is it free will or is it, or is it the sovereignty of God? Yeah, mm -hmm, it is. So though we, we have to hold those things in tension. Great is the mystery of godliness. Amen? Amen. And the third one is this whole Christocentric thing. I love that. You know what? Because Jesus is Which just means like all that. Jesus is in the middle, right? Jesus is in the middle. It's all that in a bag of chips. Like he is all that in a bag of chips. I am just, I love the Lord Jesus. Amen? And so the fact that he's at the center and this notion of apprenticeship, we heard from the 100 days of prayer that discipleship is something that you value. We love the idea of discipleship. We decided to, to frame it as apprenticeship 
Discipleship often has one person over another. Apprenticeship is side-by-side learning. And well, we like that Jesus notion. And learning really from of, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, We're apprenticing the under the master. Yeah. So that's kind of the notion for that. So those are the three things that really have, has hit me. Love that. Thanks, Dan. Chantel, what about you? All right. Um, so for me, in the beginning of this process, I found myself really excited for something new and fresh for Forest View. Um, however, that was my plan and not <laughs> God's plan. Um, and now, now as I look at these these things that have been presented this morning. I think um, I'm just reminded that each church has its own DNA, its own fingerprint, and this is not really anything new for Forest View. This is all stuff that we've always known and always been doing. Um, And so to me, it's just a reminder that God um, really values who Forest View is and the unique DNA that makes up Forest View, and that He's calling us really to just be forced you and to do it to the best of our ability. So when you look at all of that, to me that sums up what it means to be a church without walls in Halton. Um, that's something that has always stuck with us, this church without walls concept. And so I don't know if you've ever been asked what that means, but to me, when you go to answer that, now yeah. you have this like little formulated answer that you can use um, because that to me all of that sums up what it means to be a church without walls and that's that's really reassuring to me and really exciting to know that God um, can still use us the way that we are. It was interesting we really did kind of start off with a blank slate uh, you know ready to hold down the letters on the on the church completely you know maybe that was for another time and as we reflected back and it really was after the whole process that we sort of said hey this is this is kind of like church without wall. You know, it was, it was interesting, that sort of aha moment when you come at things from a whole different angle and end up at the same place, which I do frequently when I'm traveling. <laughs> Brent, talk to us. Yeah, th- thank you. Well, as well as is, uh, confirming what, what Dan and, and Chantel have said, it resonates for me in, in three ways. Um, in the first way, is is. It is in its simplicity. These questions oh, yeah. are also simple. A lot of you will be looking at this and saying, really, 100 days of prayer, <laughs> uh, countless hours of meetings, and you know, 200 pages of documents, and this is what we come up with. Yes, it is simple. But on the flip side of that simplicity is a tremendous uh, profundity, if that's a word, that says that this is, this is the catalyst for really radical life in the culture in which we live in. So I love it for its simplicity. Second reason I love it is I love it because it seems in our culture we're, we're given to being forced to be made, you know, binary choices, uh, left, right, black, white, one, two, grace or truth. And what this does is it holds those things in tension. One of the verses we used was, was in John 1, uh, as be, uh, in, in referring to Jesus, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the truth is, or the reality is, I think that most of this, our faith, exists between that tension line between grace and truth. So it isn't a binary choice. It leaves room for everybody in that. And I love that sense of it. Mm-hmm. And the third reason that this resonates with me is if I look at our history, if I look at, uh, and we've, you know, I guess we've been here a fairly long time, <laughs> when we have been at our best historically, when mm-hmm. we have been most like the Jesus who we want to be at our center is when we, as collectively and as individuals, have been practicing these things, whether we knew it or not. Um, that is what, as Chantel has said, has made us up, has been our unique DNA. So, um, so yeah, that, those are the things that resonate yeah. with me. 
These are some of our ruminations. You've heard them today. We're looking forward to uh, hearing your reflections on these. Cole's going to talk to you a little bit later about how you can add your amens or yeah, but, hmm, well, what about? Uh, we're looking forward to hearing that as well because it might seem like this is fully baked. It's not. <laughs> this is, these are kind of where we're landing right now, and uh, we're open to mystery even with this as the, the body uh, uh, weighs in and, and helps us see things clearer. Um, one of the things that has marked this whole process, as Cole's already mentioned, and you've heard throughout, has been prayer. And we're going to call Lois right now to lead us in prayer and to invite you into prayer as well as we think about this church, this body going forward.